0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's always a blessing for us to be together. I, I'm so thankful for uh, the times that we have when we gather together, and, and I really am always blessed by our time around the table. And I, I want to thank Todd for leading us and our, our hearts and minds uh, as we focused on what, what does that meal mean to us as God's people you know, sometimes as I'm, I'm listening to someone else speak, I think, wow, they are really fitting a lot of information in a much shorter time span than I tend to, and today was one of those days where I thought, man, that was high-calorie content, Todd, so thank you for that, and, and everybody always appreciates, right, when you go shorter than, than they expect, so I'm going to try to follow in Todd's footsteps this morning. That's a dangerous promise to make, but we'll, we'll see if I can keep it. Uh, I want to mention real quickly that this will be my last Sunday preaching for a little bit. Uh, Each July, uh, I try to take a study break, and so we haven't been able to do that the last couple of years just with COVID and everything, but we're enough back to normal that I'm going to be able to do that, and I I just want to thank you as a church. I want to thank our elders, and I want to thank the the people who speak in my place uh, in those weeks you know, as much as I wish that I could get way far out ahead uh, with the, the weekly rhythm of preaching, what tends to happen is that, you know, Sundays feel like they start coming like telephone poles on the highway, and once I'm past one, I'm already to the next one, and I'm trying to, to think long term, uh, and we need Uh, to be thinking long-term as we think about our place in God's mission. But that weekly rhythm just tends to kind of consume everything in my mind, in my heart. And so having just a few weeks where I'm able to step back, pray, do research, uh, and listen the best I can to God's prompting and God's voice is just a deep blessing to me. And so I just want to let you know that that's about to happen. Uh, Lauren and I and the girls will be around most of that time, so you'll see us. Uh, but I, I won't be preaching. Um, so, but before we we start the sermon this morning, let's pray together now. God, we thank you so much for the time we have to be together as your people. We thank you for the songs that that we've been able to sing. We thank you for the time that we shared in your your meal, your Thanksgiving meal together that we get to to be a part of each week. Uh, and we thank you for your word and for the powerful ways that through your Holy Spirit we're able to hear from you. And so as we enter into this moment of focusing on Luke chapter 10, uh, my prayer is that you would help each one of us hear exactly what we need to hear through your your Holy Spirit. And God, we pray that not only would we hear, but that we would find a way to live out what it is we feel like you're calling us to do and to be in the name of your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we, we focused on the, the opening verses of Luke chapter 10, which is where Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, calls together 72 of his closest followers. You know, we almost always think just of the 12, but he's got a lot of people following him at this point. And so he's able to choose from, from 72 of them And he sends them out to go ahead of him to the places that he's planning to go. And he says, you know, you you need to to travel light. You need to move quickly. Uh, You need to get to these towns and these communities. You need to find a place to stay. And you need to then do whatever you can to show people the goodness, the grace, the healing power, the love of God. And when you do that, you declare to those people that this is what it's like when the kingdom comes. This is what it's like when God's gracious rain breaks into your life. You don't take credit for it. The credit goes to God. And, and he says, look, I know that as you go out, not everybody's going to receive you with warmth and hospitality. So look for the people who, who will. Search for the people who are ready, even if they don't know that they're ready until that moment. And the phrase that Jesus uses to describe those people who are receptive to the good news are people of peace. Now, we, we spent the entire sermon kind of exploring the different implications of what does it mean for us to be people who, just like these 72 disciples all those years ago, we're sent out. Jesus sends us out into the world and says, look for people of peace. Well, just for us to have that kind of in our minds and our hearts this morning as we read the second section of Luke 10, I just want us to have a working definition of, okay, what is a person of peace? Who are these people of peace? And a person of peace is anyone who longs for the Prince of Peace even if they don't know it. They, They end up serving the Prince of Peace even if they don't see it. Right? So there are people who are, are wanting something better. There are people who are longing for a different kind of life. And they, they may not have any idea of where to seek it out, where they need to search for it, but they're, they're open, They don't have walls up in their hearts. They don't want to keep living the same way they've been living because they haven't been able to experience nearly enough peace. And so Jesus says look for those people because even if they don't know it, they're actually... They're a part of what's happening in the kingdom. They, they haven't made a commitment to the kingdom. They, they don't belong to the kingdom the way they, they can, but they're a part of what's happening when God breaks into our world and gives us hope, when we, we can't find hope anywhere else, when God gives us courage, when we can't find courage anywhere else, when God gives us a sense of peace. Right? That, that that's something that people long for, even if they haven't yet made a commitment to following Jesus. And and Christ is confident when he sends his followers out to find these people that they're everywhere. And I think, brothers and sisters, you and I need to have that same sense of expectation and hope in our world that it's it's not like that we're in a, a situation where we've been dropped off behind enemy lines, and we're, we're trying to figure out how we're going to rescue just a few people here and there from the, the kingdoms of this world that are, in many ways, right? kingdoms that usher in various forms of darkness, but we belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom of light. And there is a struggle, right? We just read it together, the, the struggle that Paul's talking about in Ephesians. There is a struggle. But it's not like we're, we're barely in a, a position to win, right? Because we follow the one true king. Whether people understand that or not, it's the truth, and you and I have been blessed enough to know that truth, to live in that truth, and so what Jesus is saying is, look, you go out into a world, and there's times you may feel outnumbered, but, but you aren't, and there's times you may feel like you're just going to save a few people here and there, but that's, that's not dreaming big enough, because it's not that God just has a mission. God has a world, a world full of people that God hasn't given up on yet, and you and I don't get to give up on them either. Right, So you keep your heart open, you keep your eyes open everywhere you go because you're going to come across people who are longing for that Prince of Peace. And you can be the way, you can be the pathway, you can be the person that helps them believe that it real, this thing they've been longing for, it's true and it's real and it's for them. There are people all over the place who are people of Peace. But if we're so guarded, if we're so suspicious, if we're so afraid of the people around us that we can't slow down to really search their hearts and their souls to find out who they really are, you know, sometimes God may use us to wake them up to that longing. Other times it may be obvious to us that that that's what they're They're wanting, and it may be obvious to them. They just don't know where to find it, right? There's all kinds of different ways that that God sends us into people's lives. But the reality is, brothers and sisters, we are not called to settle in and just wait for God to do all of the work to seek and save all the people in this world that God longs to find and to save, God has invited us in, into a mission that I'm convinced that that the truth is God doesn't actually need us to be a part of. He blesses us by asking us to get to be a part of it. And yet, if you're anything like me, there's times you get filled with a sense of urgency and your own agendas and your own sense of what needs to happen and, and your own ideas of who we need to go to and only these people. When you and I get to that place where we are forgetting That more than anything else, God has invited us to be a part of what he's doing and it's good and it's beautiful and it's what everybody was created for. When we start to think that, when I start to think, when you start, that that my life is just about me or that your life is just about you, we are forgetting who we were created to be. We're created to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves for the sake of everyone What does it mean for us to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Well, we have to actually go. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I trust that I've been sent and that if I were to go, that God would work through me to reach people and find those people of peace and help them experience the the reality of the Prince of Peace. It's one thing to say all that theoretically. It's another thing to actually go. And these 72 followers of Jesus, they actually go. And they do what he tells them to do. And then they come back to share the stories. And so that's what we're going to to read together now. Luke 10, starting in verse 17. The 72 returned joyously, saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I've given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. And and by the way, this idea of crushing snakes and scorpions, it comes from the Old Testament. It comes from not just Genesis and what happens in the garden, but it comes from the prophets. And so all of all of these concepts have to do with that spiritual battle we're a part of. Okay? So I've given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now that's the reason I'm I'm wanting to make sure you understand that this is about a spiritual battle. This is not about every single thing that happens to you and I in the physical world as well. We'll come back to that in a moment. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. And at that very moment, Jesus overflowed with joy from the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have shown them to little children. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Happy are the eyes that see what you see. I assure you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see and hear what you hear, but they didn't. Now, I I want us to think about this phrase because it's one of the I, I find one of the most powerful and interesting phrases in the New Testament, and Jesus says to them when they come back, I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, I want us to talk a little bit about what Jesus, what is he actually seeing when he says this? Because they come back, it says joyously, right? They're filled with joy because of how well the mission went. And of all the different things they could talk about, it's interesting, you know, when when Jesus sends them out, he says, go to these homes, find these people of peace, stay with them, share life with them, and then go out to the communities and heal the sick and tell people when they're experiencing that healing, this is what it's like when the kingdom comes. God is at work in your life. Be open to it. Embrace it, right? He never actually instructs them in Luke chapter 10, go out. And cast out demons. Now I realize when we think about Jesus saying heal the sick, casting out demons seems like a very closely related concept. But, but I also want to, to help walk us through the truth then that if what they're most excited about when they get back is that they're able to cast out demons from people's lives who are being ruined, destroyed by them, then we need to expand the kind of healing that Jesus empowered them to do. Because in addition to being able to perhaps help a blind person see or help someone who couldn't walk be able to walk again, they're able to set people free from the power of darkness that is destroying them. And he says... When my servants go out and they deliver people from the power of darkness, it's not just a bunch of random, unrelated moments of goodness that are breaking out in the world. Collectively, when my servants go out and they wage war against the darkness, I see Satan fall. I see Satan fall. Jesus sees Satan fall when you and I, in our lives, find an opening to share the goodness and the grace that God has poured into our lives. Jesus sees Satan fall when we keep our commitments, even when it costs us everything. Jesus sees Satan fall when, in the midst of a world where we are tempted to look out for ourselves, we make the choice to care more about other people and taking care of them than us getting what we want. Jesus sees Satan fall when the church finds out collectively how to treat people who aren't yet a part of the church in a way that makes them want to figure out how they can belong. Jesus sees Satan fall when we tell the truth in a world that's constantly practicing spin. Jesus sees Satan fall when we treat other people the way we want to be treated, even when they haven't figured out how to treat us the way we want to be treated, Jesus sees Satan fall when you trust and obey. Jesus sees Satan fall in a a hundred different ways all day long, every time you and I find the courage and the trust to do what we've been asked to do, which is to not give up on a world that we think is falling apart, but rather to give our lives for the sake of the world, trusting that God's not gonna let us The worst things come to pass. We don't live in a world where Satan gets the final word. I know Satan thinks that, and I know there are people in our world who think that, but Jesus gets the final word. The kingdom gets the final word. Love gets the final word. Hope gets the final word. Light gets the final word. We are not engaged in a struggle that we're barely going to win We're engaged in a struggle where Satan is being torn down when we open our lives to do what Jesus asks us to do. It's not our power. It's God's power, but it's wielded through us. And we need to find a way to get out of the way and let that happen in our own lives. Now, here's what's interesting. They think it's pretty cool that the demons are listening to them. That's what they're focused on. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that's, that's the thing that you're the most captivated by because who doesn't want to speak into the darkness and command it to leave people alone, right? Who doesn't want to be able to say, you know what? I have the authority to call the shots here and I want you out of this person's life. If you can imagine being able to do that through your words in the name of Jesus you can, you can understand How exciting and empowering That would have been for them But Jesus says yeah You have authority over all those things It's my authority that I've shared with you And you should Not just rejoice in that But you should really rejoice That your, your names are in the book of life Now that's the part of this That I want us to focus on For the time that we have left together this morning Because I think Jesus is saying a couple of different things there, and it's important for us to hear it. The first is this, that our confidence as followers of Jesus can't come from what we're able to do in a given moment. Our confidence must come from who we belong to. They say, look, what was really amazing about this trip, what what really captivated us was that the demons did what we told them to do. And if their experience is anything like Jesus' experience, when Jesus casts demons out of people, it draws a crowd. Right? And you immediately have some some people who want to know what it is, what kind of power you have, and how they can get some of that power for themselves. And Jesus knows the temptation for all of us as his followers is we're going to do the things that draw crowds, and we're going to think that the crowds are there for us. And that's great as long as The demons are doing exactly what you tell them to do. But what happens when you run into a situation where you try what you've always tried and it doesn't work the way you expect it to? There are other stories in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples try to help somebody and they can't because the authority isn't their authority. It doesn't belong to them. They're a part of it. They're caught up in it, but they don't get to call all those shots the way they might trick themselves into believing they do. And so Jesus says... When you have these moments where you see the power of God break into somebody's life and you're a part of it, you better not take credit for it. Because what are you going to do? How are you going to feel when you, you try the same exact technique that you used before and it falls flat and it doesn't work? Are you going to start to doubt yourself? Are you going to start to doubt God's power at work in your life? Are you going to think that the powers of darkness suddenly have the upper hand? Jesus says, no, this isn't about what you're able to do or not do. This is about who you belong to. And I know for the grammarians in the room, you wish I had said, our confidence must come from the one to whom we belong, but just go with me. Who you belong to defines who you are, and nothing else. And we live in a world where one of the the easiest voices of darkness for us to believe is that we're only as good as our performance, we're only as good as what we're able to do, we're only as good as our ability to overcome, we're only as good as our ability to win through our own efforts and our own skills and our own talents. And God says, I don't see you that way. I see you as mine. And that's enough. If you and I fall into the trap of listening to the voices of darkness that tell us we're only as good as what we're able to accomplish, we will take something as, as wonderful as the gift of the church and turn it into a vehicle for our own ambition and ruin everything along the way. I know it's easy to think that it would only be preachers who might turn the church into a vehicle for ambition, but I'm pretty sure all of us struggle with using the church as a way to gather enough of us together so that we can demand our own way because we have enough strength in numbers. But the reality is our strength doesn't come in numbers. Our strength comes from the name of the Lord. It's not about what we think we're able to do or not do or how well it's going. It's about who we belong to. Okay, and connected to that is the situation. And it's so tempting for for those of us who've, you know, had a few more years of experience maybe than than others to always think back to the way things used to be and think they were better and simpler and, and things just, you know, I just wish I could turn the clock back and we could, yeah, you know what, I know they're the good old days, but they're the bad old days too. We just tend to forget, right? And so Jesus is saying, at the same time that he's saying, it's not about what you're able to do, it's who you belong to. He's saying your assurance can't come from how things are going. Your assurance must come from where we are going. Yeah, it's great. He says that the the demons listen to my authority through you when you speak it. But you know what you should really be thankful for is the fact that your names are written in the book of life. So it's not only that we belong to the life that is truly life that God alone can give us, it's not only that we, we belong to him, but it's where we're going. It's where we're headed. And too often, you and I find either confidence or fear based on where we think things are headed. You don't have to wonder where things are headed. Right? There's going to be some dark days ahead. There's going to be some challenges ahead. There's going to be situations that we face that we think we know how to solve and we don't know how to solve it. But you know what's going to happen after all those things? We're finally going to get to go home and be home. Experience home. Welcome one another in that place. That the life that is truly life It impacts our everyday experiences now, but it also assures us, it gives us the promise that the worst things are never the last things. And you and I take far too much responsibility at times on our own to try to fix where the world is headed. And I got to tell you this as clearly as I can you and I, on our own, through our effort, cannot save the world. In fact, Through our own effort and skills and wisdom and all those things, I can promise you this. We're going to think we're going to make things better, but we're actually going to make things worse. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they have the power they can share that power with us. They can give us that insight. They can help us hold on to hope when no one else can give us hope. They, they alone are able to save this world. And we have been absolutely, Luke 10 tells us this, we have been recruited for that mission. But it is not our mission If we start to let that pressure rest on our shoulders, we're going to try our hardest to figure out how to fix this thing. We're going to fail in fixing it, and then we're going to give up on it. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like history to me, repeating itself over and over and over again. That mission doesn't rest on our shoulders. That mission rests on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. That mission has hope because three days later, he got up from the dead And started breathing again and showed us that there's a future beyond our ability to create on our own. When we look at our current moment or our current situation and we decide that it's just not going to get better, when we start to think that because we've tried as hard as we can and it hasn't worked, that, well, I guess that's it. We are relying far too much on our own strength and wisdom and insight, and we need to come back to a place like this every week and say, I can't do this, help me. We can't do this, help us. We're a part of your mission remind us that it's yours that we belong to you but that mission doesn't belong to us the church should have hope for the world when the world has lost all hope but too often i hear christian people speaking in ways that betray the fact that we've given up hope that's not an option for people who are following in the footsteps of Jesus, it's, it's not a choice we get to make. If we choose to follow Jesus, if we choose to follow in the way of Jesus, then we're in the same time, in the same moment, choosing to always believe that God is at work, that we're a part of that work, and that it's not over yet. What I want to end our morning on is this idea. And I looked, I looked this up so that I could tell you this. When in Luke chapter 10, Luke tells us that Jesus was overwhelmed by joy, it's the only place he says it. It's the only place it's described that way throughout the New Testament. And I absolutely am captivated at the thought that when you and I, when we join in the mission of Jesus... Jesus overflows with joy. In fact, in his prayer, did you notice that he talks about God's happiness? There's a lot of things that I want. There's a lot of things that I long for. But I don't know if I want or long for anything more than to make Jesus happy than to help him have a moment where he's overwhelmed with joy because I'm a part of what he's doing, because you're a part of what he's doing. I, I often picture Jesus overwhelmed by regret for what I've done. I often think about Jesus being overwhelmed by grief I think of him being overwhelmed by suffering. I think of him being overwhelmed by a lot of different things. But I almost never imagined Jesus being so filled with joy, he can't contain himself. And Luke tells us that we unlock that kind of experience in the life of God, in the heart of Jesus, when we just say, you know what? We trust you more than we trust ourselves. And we're going to do what you've asked us to do. And we're going to believe that you're going to be the one who secures the victory. You're going to be the one who helps us accomplish whatever it is that you've promised to accomplish. We just want to be a part. We want to get out of the way and and just watch you work in us and through us. And in spite of us, to save all the people in this world who were created for a loving relationship with God, but they just don't know it yet. I am so encouraged by how many of the people in our church family decide each and every year to go on a short-term mission trip. It is such an important experience for us to not only have, but to get to witness how God is at work in the lives of people who we, we may never have met before, and we may never spend time with, again, this side of heaven. It is such an important thing. That we should be committed to as a church. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there is no future where we're faithful and we only send other people out. Because the time is coming, the moment is coming when Jesus is going to look you in the eyes and say, It's wonderful that all these other people have gone. Are you ready to go? And I'm not just talking about going on a short-term mission trip. I'm talking about living on mission. I'm talking about having a sense that we don't just live in Abilene. We're sent to Abilene. Abilene, sorry. I don't know how I said that that way. But anyways. That, that we're not just happened to live in this church. We were sent to this church. That those of you who go to school, you don't just happen to go to that school. You were sent to that school that we live with that sense of mission and purpose that's bigger than us and we don't get to set the agenda. We either submit to it or resist it. And I want to embrace it. I want Jesus' dream for my life to come true. I want Jesus' dream for your life to come true. And here's the best thing. Jesus' dream is more than big enough for every single one of us. We're gonna sing together now and as we do, I hope that that you're able to think about the places that you're going to be in this coming week, the physical places you're going to be. And my hope for you is that you get a a chance, you get a moment to reconnect with this idea that you don't just happen to be there, you're sent there. And you're sent there for someone, so who is it? And is there a way that you can help them experience the goodness of the Prince of Peace? Because it's what they need more than anything else, even if they don't know it.